also creates a really, really good problem, which is there's way more demand than there is courts available. Um, so with the intent being to find a champion, anybody volunteer? Show of hands. I'm, I say that a little bit in jest, but I'm serious. I, I don't know how to get traction with uh, Kirkland Parks and the city of Kirkland when it comes to um, appropriate and adequate maintenance, um, improvements, um, and additional courts. Um, I started playing beach volleyball in, um, well, when I was 40. That's 17 years. I started playing when there was only one court, the one court down at Houghton. Um, and I've done and continue to do everything that I can do um, to participate. Volunteering, rototilling, raking. Um, and, I, and I'm not the only one. It's an engaged, active community. Uh, we are down there with um, five-gallon buckets bailing out the courts when they get flooded. We're down there digging trenches uh, to drain the water off. Um, I'm just in the last year, a seasonal employee. So I have access to the rototiller. So I go out as needed uh, to make sure that the, the sand is as good as that rototiller can make it. Um, I need to know what you need. Um, is it, Evidence of safety concerns? Do you need evidence of the maintenance requirements? Do you need evidence of the utilization and the demand on the courts? Um, do you need evidence of the community involvement? What's going, to, what's going to be meaningful in terms of getting somebody to engage with this community? Mr. Cruz, your three minutes is, uh, has expired. The next, right, the next person who would like to speak is Richard Cook. Hello, uh, my name is Richard Cook, and I haven't timed this speech, so I'm going to hope that it's under three minutes. Oh, the timer hasn't started yet. I'm doing great. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen of the Kirkland City Council, which I think I got wrong, Kirkland Parks Council, maybe. Um, thank you for allowing me up, uh, the opportunity to speak before you today. My name is Richard Cook, and I have been a resident of this wonderful city for over five years now. I stand here as a proud member of this community, and I wish to address an issue close to my heart, uh, the need for more resources to be devoted to the creation and maintenance of beach volleyball facilities uh, within our city. This city is not just a place I reside, it is my home. The tight-knit community we have fostered here has become an integral part of my life, and thanks in large part to the friendships I have forged on the volleyball courts of Juanita Beach Park, I am reluctant to imagine moving anywhere else. One of the reasons our community thrives is the wide range of recreational activities it offers, including beach volleyball. It is a sport that brings people together, encourages physical activity, and creates lasting friendships. However, our current beach volleyball facilities are lacking in several crucial aspects. Firstly, we need more sand and improved maintenance to ensure the safety of players. Diving is a fundamental aspect of the game, which at the current sand levels at Juanita Beach Park and Houghton can lead to serious injury. 
With small changes, such as adding more sand to the courts and providing more resources to regularly till the sand to create a softer playing surface, we can prevent unnecessary accidents and ensure the well-being of all players. Additionally, it is essential to have amenities that cater to players during different weather conditions, as many of us, myself included, enjoy playing all year long. A hose connected to the courts would allow us to cool the sand on scorching hot days, making it more comfortable for players and reducing the risk of heat-related injuries. Moreover, providing shelter from the sun and rain would enable year-round play and encourage community members to engage in physical activity regardless of the weather. Furthermore, I urge you to consider the installation of lighting systems to allow for nighttime play. Many individuals work during the day and with the courts being reserved from 6 to 9, 6 to 9 p.m. Monday through Thursday for most of the summer with the City League, the potential for play during daylight hours is minimal. This becomes even more important during those dreary winter months when we all dread the sun setting by 6 or 7 p.m., severely limiting the potential, the, the potential for play after work. This request would provide our community with the opportunity to play beach volleyball well into the evenings and would enhance accessibility and promote a healthier lifestyle for all members of our community. Lastly, expanding the number of beach volleyball courts throughout the city is vital. By doing so, we can accommodate more players, reduce wait times, and encourage greater participation in this beloved sport. This expansion would foster a sense of community, attract visitors, and boost our local economy. In conclusion, I stand before you as a passionate member of this community, advocating for the allocation of more resources for the creation and maintenance of beach volleyball facilities. By investing in additional sand, improved maintenance, cooling mechanisms, shelter, lighting, and more courts, we can enhance safety, accessibility, and the overall experience of players and spectators like, let us continue to nurture, uh, out of time. I had like two more sentences left, but thank you for your time. Thank you, Mr. Mr. Cook. There are no additional comments. Okay, moving on to the next uh, next uh, portion of the of the agenda is approval of the minutes. The May 10th, 2023 minutes draft has been distributed to all, all members. Um, are there any corrections or amendments to the minutes? Hearing none, the minutes are approved as presented. Thank you. Section five, business items. First item, uh, we are going to uh, have an update on the ballot measure from Hillary de la, de la Cruz, management analyst with with PCS. Uh, there's been quite a quite a lot of activity happening uh, with PFEC and with uh, council and certainly PCS. So we're going to get a great update tonight. Thank you. Hey, thanks. It's good to be here, um, Park Board members, and thanks for having me. Um, so I'm going to provide an update tonight. It's kind of going to build on some of the information that you received in your memo for this meeting um, and then give you a little bit of um, some training around what we do and don't say as park board members in particular around um, ballot measures. But first, um, a little bit of an update of where we are. So on the screen right here, um, you'll see 
a table that is about the different elements that are currently um, that were considered by PFEC and then a couple of elements that were considered by Part Board. And what this table is doing is comparing um, all the different pieces of information and feedback that Council has received about elements. And so we went over this table with Council um, last week. And so those the elements here are listed um, the first. This is, I did not add the other, um, but the the recreation and aquatic, indoor aquatics and recreation center is kind of the big number one element that's been um, considered as important by everyone. But this was looking at specifically the additional elements. And um, as you'll remember, some of the history about this is that all of these elements come from the pros plan. And then um, PFEC was recommending that a potential ballot measure include the Aquatics and Recreation Center plus five additional elements, which were year-round restrooms, green loop trail segments, sport courts, team programs, and K-TAB operations, and beach lifeguards and water safety. So that's in the PFEC recommendation. Then when we talked with you, Park Board, um, and you shared in April with Council, you um, had some slightly different um, ranked priorities, and or you and you didn't actually necessarily rank them in the same order, but the check marks here are showing which were the top five for each group. And so we checked the ones that you were indicating, which additionally included um, park safety and security, off-leash dog parks, and synthetic turf fields. And then also, as you'll remember, Park Board um, recommended that the city find other normal operating dollars to pay for team programs and KTAB operations, as well as beach lifeguards and water safety. Um, and then Youth Council had very similar top priorities to the PFEC, and the survey that was run had um, relatively similar priorities, but instead of beach lifeguards and water safety being in the top five, park safety and security was in the top five. So the current consideration that is under consideration by Council um, is on this slide, and these are some of the photos about them. So it really takes all of those priorities and councils looking at this. Um, council has not decided on all the final elements yet. We're hoping that will happen at their meeting next Tuesday. But they're looking at a package that includes um, an 86,000 square foot aquatics and recreation center, additional park rangers and safety um, through automatic gates at six of the parks, um, sport courts, which is currently including a complex of three pickleball courts and then a sand volleyball court at Odeni Park. The year-round restrooms, so that would be winterizing um, six year-round rest, current restrooms to be year-round and then adding three additional year-round restrooms. Um, teen programs and KTUB operations and beach lifeguards and water safety education program and um, the Green Loop Trail Networks. And if you listened to the council meeting last time, you you would have heard them talking about some of these elements and their thoughts about them and just kind of finding exactly the right balance. So one of the kind of lingering things is that council is still figuring out the balance between park rangers and safety um, and how to get that in with also having increased beach lifeguard hours. Um, and so that's kind of the elements that council is currently looking at. And what they're going to do is um, at next week's meeting, they will hopefully, like I mentioned, kind of decide what those final elements are and then council has until July 18th, so they have three meetings left to kind of finalize if they want to go to the ballot in 2023. Um, before I move on from that, are there any questions about elements or anything that I've talked about so far? Because I'm going to shift gears towards um, kind of talking about ballot measures. All right. Um, so I wanted to provide a little bit of information about um, how you as park board members, which are part of a commission 
that or a board that the city has um, and are appointed by a council. Um, some of the guidelines around how to talk about ballot measures. And this is um, all from the Public Disclosure Commission um, from Washington State. And um, these are, you know, I'm giving you some tips and tricks and training today. But if we, if the council does decide to go to the ballot, we'll have a little bit more official training. We're kind of in an interesting intermediary time where there hasn't been an official decision yet, but it's still important that we're kind of practicing um, this information for the future. And um, the other thing I think I would note in your memo, you had some links to the information where you can go to the PDC website and find lots of different information about this, which is very helpful. Um, but the main kind of, there, if anyone is interested, the um, ride code of Washington, the RCW number is on the screen. It's 4217A555. And this is um, the beginning part. And I think what's what's bolded is the kind of important part to Park Board, which is saying that no elected official nor employee or of their office nor any person appointed to or employed by a public office or agency may use or authorize the use of any facilities of a public office or agency directly or indirectly for the purpose of assisting a campaign for election of a, any person to office or for the promotion or opposition of any ballot measure or ballot proposition. And in that case, park board, it falls under that any person appointed to section. And then facilities is really, in this case, used as a very broad term. So facilities of public office or agency include, but are not limited to use of stationary postage machines and equipment, use of employees of the office or agency during work hours, vehicles, office space, publications of the office or agency, and clientele lists of persons served by the office or agency. So most anything that you're doing that's directly related to your work. So this meeting right now is use of staff, um, facilities because you're using staff time, you're using the building, you're using materials that the city has provided to you. Um, so that's this is just kind of, and then there's a lot more information, but what I'm gonna do is kind of go through this summary of that the PDC has specifically when it relates to a park board members. Um, this is their board member and commission member section. And so, and the reason that it's really important that we follow all of these is that if if we are in violation of the PDC guidelines, someone could um, one question the city's um, job about how we've been talking about ballot measures. And so, like I said, well, if council decides to go to the ballot, this will really go strictly into effect, but this is still good things to practice right now. And so um, park board, and we gave a similar training to staff last week, and staff have a little bit different um, restrictions that they have to follow as well. And so some in this slide, you'll see in the permanent activities, um, park board members may engage in political activities on their own time, as long as you're not using any public facilities. So as long as you're not using um, things that the city has provided to you. And you also really wanna make sure that you're being clear that you're speaking on your own behalf but you can, in that case, use your title and mention that you are a Kirkland Park board member, but I'm speaking here today on my behalf of myself. Um, and then the other permanent activity is attending a function or event at any time during the day and sharing your own opinion. And again, um, not being compensated and not using any public facility to do that. The things that are not permitted, um, you shouldn't tell any staff um, in an agency how they should 
to support or oppose campaign activities or a ballot measure. Um, you shouldn't use public facilities to engage in political activities. You shouldn't use public facilities to express a collective decision or actually vote upon a motion or resolution to support or oppose a ballot proposition. So that would, an example would be um, if council decides to go to the ballot, park board should not try to take a vote yourselves in support or opposition of any ballot measure. And it's, uh, you know, th these rules apply to all ballot measures and all campaigns. It's a little different when we're thinking about one that the city's currently thinking about themselves. Um, and then the final not permitted activity is um, not using public facilities to make a statement at a press conference or responding to an inquiry in support or opposition of any ballot proposition. And so that would, um, I believe that also kind of says if someone emails you in your park board email, that is considered a public facility. And so you wouldn't wanna be telling someone to support or oppose something from that email. Um, and then a few, the last column there is just some general considerations that are kind of, the PDC offers these in all the different types of um, considerations for the different types of board members um, and staff of what, what to think about when you're um, out there in the public. And so a question is, is the appointed official, official using staff time, a public vehicle or other public resource? And if so, that's not a permanent activity. Um, has it, have you made clear that you're not speaking on behalf of the agency? Um, and if you have made clear that you're not speaking on behalf of the agency and not using public facilities, then that's all right. And then um, there's a couple sections on uniforms and related equipment and official calendars. Um, the biggest thing about the uniforms and related equipment, um, I have this in another slide in a second, but um, so Mike, for example, you are um, Park Board Member Holland, you have your name tag on right now. So if you were um, out talking with your name tag on, that wouldn't be permitted. But if you took that off, um, um, then that could be okay as long as you're making sure no one thinks you're speaking on behalf of the city. Um, so the next couple of slides I just want to go through are um, a couple of these are modified from what I shared with our staff, just kind of how I've seen right now, staff in general, how people can answer questions. Um, and then I have one that's really specific to Park Board. And so this question here um, we were saying staff might get is, what is this ballot measure that I keep hearing about? Um, I'm going to give you brochures. In case, anyone, if, in case you would like a brochure, we have one here for you as well. Um, and and so this, um, this is a brochure that we have out in our community centers and downstairs in City Hall. And it is showing, it's, um, you need another one. Yeah. There you go. I, I didn't bring them for all the staff. <laughs> um, but this, um, so this is just an example of what we as staff are putting out as kind of an educational piece of information. Um, and at, throughout this process, we will continue to put out educational informative pieces of information. And those are kind of the best thing for you to use if you are in your park board capacity when talking about the ballot measure. Um, this will probably be updated within the next week and a half, depending on what council decides next week. And so the kind of in, in this, you know, talking about giving the brochure, sharing the website information with people to go learn more and sharing that this is really um, something that council is talking about right now about potentially bringing a ballot measure to voters in November, 2023. You all know much, lots of detail about this. So talking about how this builds on the pros plan and all that messaging we've been talking about can be really helpful, educational, informative things to share with folks. Um, 
And, you know, we just have on the slide that city council has heard the community wants fast action and delivery on these and is considering a ballot measure to build on the pros plan, potentially fund activities. Um, the next question that some people might get is, has anything been decided yet? And currently the answer is no. Um, and so council is currently discussing things. And I think it's always helpful, um, as you probably have been doing, to share that council has been talking with Park Board and also especially been talking with the Parks Funding Exploratory Committee that was 45 community members um, as part of this process. Because I think we really want to make sure that folks know um, the community touches that we've been trying to make. And it's also you know, good to mention the community survey that a lot of people filled out. I was at the Norcook um, Neighborhood Association meeting last Wednesday. And a number of people in that room had filled out the survey just a few weeks before. So being able to make those touch connections of touch points of where community member voices have been brought in is always a great thing. Um, another question you might get is how much will this cost me? Again, nothing has been decided yet, um, but it is, you know, this question is gonna come up and some, what right now we can talk about that the PFAG recommended, recommended package was estimated to be about $232 to a million dollar homeowner. And so that's kind of what we were sharing with staff as a good way to answer it for now. And again, more will come in the next week or two about that. And then this final slide here is kind of the question of what do you, being a park board member, think that voters should do? And so in here, I kind of had um, the top section is if you're on park board time or using city facilities and the bottom section is as long as you're not doing that. And so if you're at a public facility, which would really include our parks as well, um, if you're wearing Kirkland purchase items or if it's clear that you're there on the behalf of the city of Kirkland or Parks and Community Services, um, then you just really want to do what we've talked about, kind of providing the educational information and resources about the process, um, but then saying to people, you know, I can provide you these educational resources, but it's up to Kirkland voters to decide what to do. And thank people for being engaged and learning and share the resources about going to the website and learning more. Um, it's also it could be great for you to ask people what they think and encourage them, especially to reach out to um, I guess you can encourage them to reach out to council members directly, especially at this time when council is still figuring out what to do. Um, if you want to pass any information on that you hear on the staff, we can also share that information. I think it's always good to kind of get those thoughts from people. But in that, in the capacity where you're being rep you're representing Park Board, you want to make sure that you're not sharing your personal opinions. And then if you're on your own time and not wearing city items, then you can voice your opinion about the ballot measure and you just want to make sure that you're clarifying that you're speaking on behalf of yourself and sharing your own beliefs and you're not trying to represent park board, you're not trying to represent the city or the department. So that's the kind of brief-ish training that I wanted to provide tonight. And like I said, a little bit more will come when council or when and if council decides to go to the ballot, we'll make sure that um, we're sharing that out. Also, we'll be sharing that with the very broad city staff because more and more questions are going to be coming up. Um, but are there any questions about what I covered at all? All right. And then the last slide I just had is our timeline that I think you've seen a number of times. Um, but the just a reminder of the next three council meetings are really important for this process. So we're going to be doing a deep dive kind of into the finance of things, both on the 20th and also on July 5th. Um, and on the 20th, council has in front of them um, the 
possibility to authorize the pro-con committee appointments. Um, and pro and con committee point, uh, committees are um, required for each ballot measure that goes um, in the voter pamphlet. You'll see a pro statement and a con statement. And so there's some um, recruitment that would happen from that to make sure that those voices are heard. Um, council was maybe going to do that last meeting, but decided to defer that because, as you might have heard if you listened to the council meeting, they're still thinking, do we want to do 2023 or potentially 2024 um, due to the King County Assessor forecasted a potential significant drop in assessed value in the city um, or in the county and then likely in the city. And so that's something that's kind of a late breaking, unprecedented piece of information that council is figuring out. And so they deferred the pro-con committee appointments until this coming meeting. And those could go as late as July 5th. Um, the benefit of having them sooner is that people have more time to be recruited and writing their statements because the pro-con committee statements are due to King County elections. I believe it's on August 4th. It's right, right a couple of days after the ballot statements are due. Um, and then July 18th is the last ballot, uh, the last meeting that council could pass an ordinance um, for the August 1st due date of sending the ballot measure to King County. So that is all the exciting updates and more to come. And I'm, I'm sure you'll, I'm sure you're all watching and paying attention to council and their conversations around this as well. So thank you. So um, Hillary, just one question. Yeah. Were you finished with your presentation? I am, yes. Okay, thank you. Yeah, if anyone has any um, questions. And I was just wondering, did you want to mention at all that the uh, council convened the PFEC group <clears> last <throat> night just to help further in the discussion and validation of direction? Or yeah, yeah, that's a yeah, that's a good good point. So council did, um, like Mike just mentioned, council convened the PFEC again last night, just in kind of re in recognition of this new information about the potential drop of the assessed value um, and the fact that even though, so the assessed value is in Sammamish, for example, is projected to decrease by 22%. Um, and so we don't have an exact number for Kirkland, but that's kind of what we are thinking in the ballpark could be. And so we are looking at some scenarios of what that would look like. And what's important to know is that if, because property tax in this, in this state is very complex, if the total assessed value, because that's what the city looks at when setting the um, property tax levy rate, if the total assessed value of the city drops, um, the levy rate someone would need to pay to um, raise the money that would be needed for a ballot measure would increase, but the amount of money that individual actually pays wouldn't necessarily increase because it would be assumed that their assessed value would also drop along with the city's assessed value. So that $232 I was talking about before, um, we had a slide that we shared with PFEC last night kind of explaining that um, with the current assessed value, that'd be 23.2 cents of a, um, per thousand of assessed value and that would cost the million dollar homeowner $232. But if the assessed value dropped by 20%, it would be up to 29 cents, but it would still cost the million dollar homeowner whose home would now have also decreased a little bit in value, $232. Um, and this is really kind of an unprecedented potential drop. We also had an unprecedented increase in the past year. I think over the past two years, it's raised about 20%. And so um, this is and the King County Assessor is saying that they're thinking this is kind of a correction for where things have gone in the past year. 
but they also um, are finance folks who talked with them and um, in their press release, they're not predicting that this is some big concern necessarily. They're just saying this is a correction and they think things will probably continue along. So we shared all that information with PFEC last night and asked kind of, you know, your initial gut reactions. What do you think? Do you, um, so PFEC talked a little bit among themselves and then we just asked, do you think that council should go to the ballot in 2023 or wait till 2024? And um, an overwhelming majority of folks who were there, 92% um, said that they thought that we that council should go in 2023. So that piece of information will be taken to council. who are weighing many things. Our finance team is working with the King County assessors team to get the best information we possibly can. But the realities are also that um, we don't know what the actual total assessed value of the city will be until October. So that's after we would need to be making all these estimates now. So there's a lot happening, but that, um, so that was the kind of meeting last night. Um, and so PFEC gave that information that will be in the council packet going out tomorrow. Um, anything else? Yeah, you have a question? Yes, yes, that's the, that's the goal. And, um, and that's because we, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make up a number here. Let's say if we want to make, if we need $10 million in revenue, then what we would do is we would look at how much, how much, what rate would we need to have the tax levy be at in order to make $10 million off of the total Kirkland assessed value, which this year is about $48 billion. Um, so if that drops then it, but we still need $10 million. That means the levy rate needs to go up. But what the individual person pays would say approximately the same as long as their assessed, their home value kind of shifted at the same rate. Yeah, part of, part of what is important is that in the ballot measure itself, you have to list the um, maximum amount that the city's levy will be. So what that I don't I don't have that in the slides, but um, what that kind of often is listed at is saying like the city's thinking um, the city's proposing a ballot measure that would raise um, the levy rate by twenty cents per thousand up to a maximum rate of the maximum rate, and um, so all of this impacts that number of the maximum rate, and, they, and so I think the worry is that it could be perceived as a lot higher because if someone took the ma new maximum rate and looked at their current tax year and their current assessed value and saw how much that might cost, it would say it would cost more than it actually will next year. Yeah, yeah, the, the new homes, that's a good question. I don't have, I, I'm not going to try to answer it perfectly, but um, the, the new home construction is also kind of a, another consideration that works with all of it. But I will, I can get a better answer for that one. The, the big challenge is that first year is if you guys vote this year, it's based on next year's assessed value. So we as a city have to guess on what next year's assessed value is to set that first year's target. So like you said, we need that $10 million. We have to guess, okay, it's gonna cost 15 cents per thousand of what it's gonna be. If next year's assessed value is 10.1 million. If it's really 10.3 million, 
we end up taxing more, we would charge more than we would need to, to make. If for some reason the assessed value comes in lower, which is what we're projecting next year, and we set it at that 20 cents or whatever I said, 10 cents, all of a sudden we're way under. And so we don't have enough money to build everything. After that first year, that 1% rule kind of kicks in. And so it stays, even though the rate, 15 cents per thousand may drop to 14 cents per thousand, the amount collected, which is what the state bases all their taxes on, is the right side of the equation, which is backwards. Um, that can increase by 1%. So they will just increase. If, you, if the rate, if assessed value drops, the rate increases. But if the assessed value decreases or increases, the rate will drop to make that math on the right side stay the same. It's that first year that's really tricky is that we're guessing what the assessed value is going to be next year. And so if a 20% drop comes in next year and we're basing it all on this year, we're not going to have enough money um, to do it. So that was part of the concern is also people are looking at these giant tax increases and assessed value increases they got this year. You're looking at that. Do you potentially say, well, no, all these huge increases, maybe I don't want to vote on this tax this year. I want to wait and see what, what actually shakes out next year. So that was part of this whole game of like, because that first year is so critical that we're, we're really, and the same problem happens. If we, if we push it off till April of next year, you're basing it on 2025's tax value, which we don't even have an estimate of where it might go the following year. So you're always, yeah, the hope is that you would know that they've recorrected and it's going to, if you, like George had a nice finance presentation yesterday, it just, it's two and a half percent every year. It just, generally ticks up. There's been like one year in the last 20 years that there's been a decrease. And now we're looking at that next one year. Yep. Our timing's really good. That, that's a good question. I am actually curious too. So what, what the King County Assessor did was um, their office picked Sammamish and I believe they picked Queen Anne perhaps in Seattle. And those were the two numbers that they gave as their forecasts. And so I'm not sure exactly why I do think a big reason is that Sammamish saw one of the biggest increases as well over the last year, and Kirkland saw a fairly large increase over the last year. Um, but so that just means that the county staff have looked in more detail at those two as examples. I have a question. Mm -hmm. So say you it goes to ballot in 2023 and the tax values, the assessed value decreases and you don't end up having enough money. Is there a way to recoup in the future years with the percentage increases you would you would need to go back to the ballot again to get more money so that's so that's the big that, yeah that's a big the big thing that council will have to think about and the big thing that staff are coming up with scenarios about how how this could look is that we really can't guess too low and you want to be careful guessing too high but there are um if the city says the maximum is going to be a certain number, the city can collect less than the maximum. So if there is a guess a little bit too high and it comes back and the assessed value didn't go down as much as we thought it might, we could collect less than the maximum. Um, and so council members are asking about, you know, how can we write that into the ordinance and really make it clear that no one's trying to go get more money than we need. We just want to get the money that is needed for this package. Um, but those are all the things that are being thought about right now. Yeah, yeah. So we had 25 folks that were voting last night. A couple of people that were there didn't vote. Um, and 92% of those folks said go forward this year. And then we're currently 
via proxy vote for email, getting um, information from people who couldn't make it. We had, a, we had, I believe, a week notice for this meeting because it was a kind of a last minute thing. So yeah, PFEC is 40, 45, which includes the council members, so 44 because she doesn't vote on these things. Um, so that's what we are, that's what we've heard from. And so we, we are getting more information. So on Tuesday at the council meeting, we'll have that information about the folks that weren't able to be at the meeting. On the July 18th city council meeting, is that on this, if there needs to be more time, like does council have room on their agenda? Um, they, I'm sure that council will make room to talk about it. Um, they, we have time at the, all these next three meetings, but then July 18th is the last currently scheduled meeting. Um, that's the next three meetings. Yeah. And, and technically, there are there are procedures for council to call a special meeting. I'm not exactly an expert on those, um, but it does everything has to be done by August 1st. So it's a it's a tight timeline. Um, but they've been talking about this, and so we'll we'll just see. But and the the um, I forgot to mention this earlier, but this announcement from the assessor came out on June 1st. So it's late breaking information that we didn't know beforehand. So it's not we you know it's new to all of us. So we're kind of figuring it out as we go with um, a lot of good folks working on figuring out the best way to potentially move forward. Any other questions for Hillary? Well, thank you, Hillary. I just wanted to also make a short comment. Um, uh, I wanted to acknowledge and thank uh, Department of Parks and Community Services, as well as Council, for the tremendous work they've done in this project. This has been such a massive, massive initiative. And um, uh, the, the PFEC meeting last night, they talked about a lot of the things that have changed in last month on the um, uh, about the ballot measure, um, what would be included, as, as Hillary uh, addressed, but you could see all of the work that went into that, all the analysis, all the brainstorming that's gone into it. Very impressive. And I'm very, hopefully very optimistic this is going to be accepted and we'll move forward. So thank you, Hillary. This is second, Marika. So next on the agenda, is celebrate Kirkland 4th of July parade. This is a biggie. Um, and we're fortunate we have Ms. Burgess. I can't pronounce your first name. Mareka, thank you. I, I knew I was going to massacre it. So <laughs> Ms. Ms. Burgess. <laughs> so is here to talk to us about, uh, uh, about the July 4th parade activity. Out celebrate Kirkland. Oh, thank you. 
yeah, a little bit about Celebrate Kirkland. Didn't advance. Oh, Maybe. oh, I didn't advance it. Excuse me. There you go. <laughs> You're dual screen. I'm doing here. dual things here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Celebrate Kirkland started 23 years ago. This is our 24th year. And the Kirkland Downtown Association, uh, they started Celebrate Kirkland. And um, this year through a planned transition and uh, with the city of Kirkland, um, we are planning uh, the event and with the full support of the Kirkland Downtown Association, they've been very passionate about everything that we've gotten historical knowledge from them. and. Um, Thank you very much for everything you've done for the parade uh, in the past, as well as uh, now. Uh, the parade has on average about 25,000 spectators. We have 75 to 100 entries and it's made of local businesses, uh, civic groups, clubs, uh, many different groups, schools, other organizations, they participate. Um, and so it takes about an hour or so for that many parade entries to go to go by. Um, and then we also seek over 200 volunteers to put this event on. And the parade includes not just a main parade, but a kids parade and a veterans component. And we also have a big kids activity giveaway section where kids can decorate their bikes, their trikes, their scooters and wagons before the event uh, for the, especially the kids parade portion. So our sponsors this year are super excited to be a part of the parade. They've been very generous with their support, including in-kind donations and use of their vehicles, drivers from their own staff, and really fun, engaging parade entries. Um, Kenworth is going to be celebrating 100 years of trucks this year. Um, so they're gonna have a really exciting parade entry. They're trying to get a Kenworth truck from every decade and their staff are really into it. They will be having um, themed trucks from every decade, music pumping from the truck from every decade. Um, it's gonna be really fun. Um, obviously, you know, one truck for every decade is 10 trucks. So if they get that many, that'll be fun. Um, but they're really into it. They're very excited to be a part of it. And we're very grateful. And the Lee Johnson Auto family, they're giving us $10,000 in sponsorship support. And they have a personal family collection of vintage cars where they will be um, having their own staff um, uh, taking uh, veterans along the parade route. So we have a very special portion of veterans as part of the parade. And they'll also be providing us with our Grand Marshal vehicles as well. They're, right now, they're trying to decide if they want to have their own parade entry. But uh, I, think, um, I think they're enjoying just the vintage car piece of it. For, for the moment, so. Um, diversity is very important to Kirkland. Uh, we've made a lot of efforts with this parade to make sure that um, we include diversity and inclusion in this event. And we've done it very intentionally. Um, we've had uh, people on our planning committee, um, people on our planning committee, they sort of focus on one thing and we have a new member on our planning committee that is focusing on diversity which is wonderful. And um, they've been able to get several new parade entrants to come in and be a part of the parade. Uh, we're also having um, some food trucks that um, have an international uh, uh, food to it. We've got um, a Hispanic food truck as well as a Pakistani food truck. 
And then we do have a vegetarian food truck for, for those who are also interested in that. Um, so examples of some of the entertainment and some of the um, groups that are going to be part of the diversity part of the, the parade is we have the International Lions uh, Dance Chinese group. And we will have a member of the Ukrainian community who lives in Kirkland who will be singing our national anthem. So that will be really fun. Um, in addition to that, uh, the Pakistan Association of Seattle and Resilient Community Services has signed up so far, and that's one of many groups that we've reached out to, and not all of them have signed up for the parade, but um, we're really excited about that involvement. So our tagline for the parade is where we come together, and so we felt it was really important for this first um, Celebrate Kirkland event that the city is putting on that we really embrace and, and, and show the community that um, there are people in Kirkland that really bring people together. And when we thought about it as a committee, um, when we made some recommendations to the city and we came up with three really wonderful people who, who we have invited to be our grand marshal, uh, grand marshals for the event. And uh, each in their own way have brought the community together We've in, uh, invited the CEO of HopeLink, Dr. Catherine Cushenberry, and she brings people together through her services, through her work, families and, and um, individuals. And then Lonnie Brockman, she's the artistic director of Studio East. She brings people together through her um, artistic endeavors and performances. And then we also have a youth. His name is um, Austin Pasinich. He's an award-winning Euro artist. And he brought um, several people in the community together to paint uh, the big fish mural at uh, Spud's Fish and Chips. So um, again, we're very excited to have them and they are just as equally excited to be in the parade. So I mentioned this before, but we have some, some elements of the parade. We have the kids parade, uh, we have the main parade, and then the beginning of the parade, uh, main parade includes veterans, we have some new award categories, and then we have a huge volunteer component to um, the parade this year. At the beginning, we have kids activities. So uh, we can families can go to uh, Lakeshore Plaza parking lot, and we'll have almost like a buffet line of, uh, they can just go walk and get all kinds of giveaways for their, their like I said, their bikes, their trikes. We've got ribbons, flags, flower lays, stickers, hand stamps, that kind of thing. Let's see, can I go? Here we go. The kids' parade starts at 11:30, and it's a shorter route from the main route. The main parade is about three quarters of a mile long, so this one's a little bit shorter, and it's led by some uh, princess, uh, you know, character princesses. Um, and uh, I can say Disney, yes, <laughs> like Disney princesses. <laughs> I was trying to be careful. <laughs> But as we all know, Disney princesses, um, they're really fun. They stay in character the whole time and they lead, they lead the kids on the parade. And then at the end of the route, they, they have a photo opportunity for the kids. So that's really fun. Um, this is an example of the parade route. The blue is the main parade and the uh, uh, orange line is the kids parade. You'll see where the kids decorating is and then where the kids uh, hang out in preparation to do the, the kids portion of the parade. And then it ends at the food truck area. Um, 
So that's a kind of an outline of the parade. And then our uh, Kenworth, our um, headlining sponsor, will have a booth at um, the, the pavilion there. So just an example of some of the uh, folks that are already signing up for the parade. We have um, Girl Scouts, Studio East, American Little League. Um, we have a really fun band called the Neon Brass Band. Uh, Lake Washington High School Spirit and uh, many others coming every day. A lot of them, um, Tessa, uh, you told me that they would sign up at the last minute, and that is very true. <laughs> so, um, but I'm super thrilled that every day I look forward to coming to work and seeing who signed up. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty fun. So as I mentioned, we have a big veterans component to this event. It's really special. And we work with um, several veterans group. We actively re recruit veterans to participate. Um, that is active duty military, uh, gold star parents, retired uh, veterans. Um, we work with the VFW 2995 to help us um, um, get folks to participate. But it's really a great variety. We have... Um, Veterans in their own vehicles, uh, again, the vintage vehicles from Lee Johnson. Um, we work with the VFW to help them decide on sort of a special honored um, veteran to, to lead the veterans portion of the parade. And um, the parade really starts after the national anthem and a bagpiper, then the color guard, and then the veterans um, are there. Out at Heritage Hall in the front lawn, we do a special reception for them. And we have some, you know, a light, a light meal and, and some nice conversation. And it's really special. We enjoy it very much. This, oh, and also this year we have a new banner that we'll, be, uh, have, we'll have in front of them uh, as they walk. So that'll be really fun. And awards. Um, we have this new element for awards this year. Um, what we're really excited about is that we have a banner for each award. So... Um, if a parade entry wants to be considered for award, we have uh, judges who um, are made up of uh, volunteers. Uh, many boards and commission members um, are on that um, committee of judges. It's led by Amanda Judd, who's in our human services department. Um, and we can, yeah, and yeah, former yeah. park, yeah, <laughs> former park, park board member. Um, as a committee, we came up with uh, different categories that we felt would really reflect Kirkland and the businesses and the type of clubs and organizations that um, participate in the community. And uh, so what will be really nice is the judges, while the parades uh, entries are in the staging area before the parade, they're going to decide all this and award uh, uh, different entries in these categories they will receive a commemorative trophy, and then they will have the honor of um, holding the banner as they walk through the parade route. So all the spectators will immediately get to see who won for what category. We do have a dedicated web page for this, and it explains uh, the meaning of each category and what type of criteria that we've developed as a planning committee to um, decide on how, you know, how these entries can um, focus on different categories. And then Sarah has been working very hard on um, recruiting volunteers. So she's going to speak briefly about that piece of it. 
Um, I want to give a special thank you to Tessa for all of your volunteer yes. work on this. You, I mean, your expertise has been invaluable and um, we're so grateful to have you um, continue to be part of this event. Uh, we, This is new for the city and so there's a lot of learning that we're doing um, as we take on this event. And um, we are counting on lots of community folks to come out and, and support us that day. So we are looking for 150 to 200 volunteers to help um, day of. And we have we have volunteer roles, opportunities available throughout all areas of the map that Marika showed. We are um, looking for folks who will be along the parade route itself to ha help with kind of crowd control, um, answer questions from that spectators might have, um, help do some controlled crossings of the streets to make sure that people are you know, navigating safely around the parade area. Um, we'll have folks who are supporting um, the veterans area at uh, Heritage Hall, making sure that they're comfortable hosting them, start helping to serve lunch, pinning lapel flowers on them, um, helping with the photo and helping them get into the parade vehicles when that portion starts. Um, we have a number of volunteers who will be in the kids area to help um, bring some control to the madness of the kids giveaway and the decorating fun that will happen. Um, and then to actually um, walk with the kids in the parade and kind of help lead that piece. Um, uh, Celestina from um, the Kirkland Downtown Association is, is leading volunteers the evening before on July 3rd to do street decorating um, and get things ready there. Um, we have a number of volunteers who are really running the show at the grandstand and the Midway station to do, do the MC work there. Um, what else do we have? We have setup volunteers. We have clean, uh, kind of cleanup crew volunteers, um, folks all over. So if if you um, or anyone you know may be interested in volunteering that day, we would love to have love to have them. We're looking for folks who are um, age 16 or older, just because many of the volunteer assignments are um, having to interact with the public and be in busy, crowded areas and helping with kind of foot traffic. Um, uh, management. So um, that's something that we're looking for. But on the website that Marika created, this um, kirklandwa.gov slash celebrate Kirkland, there's lots of great information about the parade um, and also some detailed information about volunteer opportunities. You can Thank you. even an application online. Yeah, online. Now. Yes. But yeah, you can sign up right online. Which is nice. Thank you. Do 
It's, it's a great small town feel parade. Fantastic. Just uh, one other comment. Um, so I think as mentioned, um, Amanda Judd, um, our previous chair of the park board is, um, now a city employee, and she is leading up the effort of pulling together judges. So she contacted myself and Tessa and John, say, hey, does anybody on the park board want to be a judge and uh, help with the judging of this really fun July 4th parade event? So if any, and we, so we, we mentioned that we would make you aware of this opportunity. 
uh, I'm going to be traveling out of, I'm in Iceland, so I can't, I can't make it, right? I would, I would volunteer, but uh, anyway, if you do, um, I guess yeah, you could. My husband. No, no, if, if you want to. I'm uh, looking at the role. My husband and I will volunteer. I'm just checking out the best spots. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great, great presentation. And we can help um, the veterans. I'm sorry, the Heritage Hall too. I think I'd like to take a, a just a five minute break right now, please. Um, Emily, would you uh, stop recording, please, for for a few minutes? Uh, let's come on back at um, eight ten, and we'll reconvene. Thank you. Okay. Well, welcome back. Uh, let's let's move forward with the next item in the in the business items, and that is um, 132nd Square Park construction update and grand reopening celebration. And Aaron is going to present that information to us. Thank you. So I just wanted to um, present to you um, our event that's on Saturday, July 15th. It's um, called A Park for Everyone, and it's the 132nd Square Park Grand Reopening. Um, the park, as in terms of construction, will be um, soft opening in early July. And then we are having this um, celebration um, on the 15th. Um, it's from 12 to 3 p.m. And then there's a ribbon cutting at 1 o'clock. Um, the events there um, will have the ribbon cutting ceremony with speakers. Um, and then as well, there is a park inspection for the kids um, where they'll get hard hats and an inspection checklist. Um, and then they can try out the different um, playground equipment, the zip line, um, do walk the labyrinth and things like that. And then um, and also do, we'll have uh, sports organizations down on the big turf field. And so they'll be able to um, try out different sports that they maybe haven't done before, like lacrosse. Um, we'll have uh, either Little League or rugby and um, also peewee soccer. And um, so once they've completed the um, checklist, then they can get a prize and take a picture with um, a big truck. So um, Jason's team, uh, park maintenance, is bringing in um, a gator that's um, actually used to um, maintain the turf field. And so they can, it'll be a photo op and then there'll be a sign that they can, just showing that they inspected the park and for the grand opening. So just, um, then I have this checklist if anybody wants to kind of see the, my prototype of what um, that would look like. Um, and so um, we also will have um, information tables 
for um, our department, so human services, recreation, and of course um, the ballot, and and then as well um, the uh, public works um, stormwater group will bring have an educational table there as well. Um, and so uh, one thing I just wanted to in, invite the park board. Um, you've been invited to the event, but if you are interested um, in helping out at any of the stations that we have set up um, with the park inspection or um, any of the uh, sports activities on the field, just would like um, like to invite you to, to do that and um, let me know if you're interested in um, and we can find a spot for you. Any questions? I know several of us have gone out to 132nd Square Park recently, and, and it is really impressive. I think we're all really looking forward to the grand reopening of that park. It is truly an impressive park and all the work that's been done to, um, to enhance what was already a nice park. So thank you. Any other questions for regarding 132nd Square Park? Um, thank you, Aaron. Next on the agenda then is um, park board member reports. Does anybody have anything they'd like to report? I wasn't able to make it to my last meeting. I should have reached out, but nothing to report. So um, I don't have anything to report either, other than I mean, going to PFAC meetings and so forth, as you know. Um, and then, of course, much of our reporting is uh, we attend neighborhood association meetings, but there are no association meetings in summertime, for I think for almost all associations. So uh, it's kind of a, a little bit of a drought from re reporting right now. So thank you. So that concludes the business item section of our, of our agenda. Moving down to communications. Um, um, are there any correspondence that we need to address tonight, John? No, I, I included the one email that we received just before last month's meeting in this month's packet. And we got another email yesterday that you'll get included in next month's packet. <laughs> um, it was a similar comment about the, the beach volleyball Sarah responded to. Um, and I will reach out to Mr. Cruz and follow up with him to get at least the second guy provided some specifics of what he's looking for. And the, so just to, I'll follow up with him to make sure that we're, we're addressing his concerns. Um, that was about the scheduling piece. The other one was more about, I think they're concerned about the, the maintenance and um, the service level that we provide the courts and, and we can provide more updates to, to you all later as well. Um, a lot of it's they want a higher level of service to those courts. It's kind of like saying, oh, we want the, the essentially equivalent to say, oh, we want the grass to be mowed at a half inch instead of the typical two inches. Like they're asking for a lot more than we would normally do from the facility. Um, I mow the grass every day. Well, yeah. Well, if you're keeping it a half inch, it's gotta be mowed every day. It's, <laughs> that's what we hired Daniel. 
Is the volleyball that takes place in Heritage Park, are those just just random those folks? Rogue setting volleyballers. Up? Rogue volleyballers. Yeah. It's a public place. They, they do. No, no, that I didn't know if it was too. a rec league or something like that. There's a bunch of groups. That, there's, so they set up at Juanita Beach. I guess. So yeah, so you'll see that that's you'll see the email that you probably saw today in the packet next month, just to make sure that's officially been documented that you guys have seen the response. So, but there's no other communications. Okay, <laughs> great, John. Thank you. Um, see, next in the communication section is um, department monthly reports. So I, I've noticed that uh, both reports are posted out on the uh, on the website. Are there any any comments or questions about the content of those reports? We got it done this month. Yeah, no, yeah, it's they were out there. Yeah, uh, it's I, nice when it's not. Uh, today, this is the last possible date that it could be the fourteenth, versus last month it was the eighth or whatever it was. Yeah, I know. Uh, so. Well, in the in the monthly report is uh, it's always so much material. It's really good stuff. It's so much information and, and just highlights all the activities that's happening in the, the month of May this time, uh, which was considerable. And again, they highlight in there the that 132nd Square Park received um, a national award. Totem Lake. Oh, I'm sorry, Totem uh, Lake. Yeah. Totem yeah. Lake. You're right. I take it back. Totem Lake received an, the award in May. Um, it's a nice, nice write-up in the, in the monthly report about that. So fantastic. So any other comments about the monthly reports or the, the metric report? Okay. Um, John, are there any staff updates or any other information from PCS you'd like to share? I don't have any, but I'll turn over to you. I'm gonna have one or two. Something that probably won't make the report is um, this time of the year, and it's an annual thing. Uh, we'll start getting a lot of dead fish washing up on the shorelines, and so it's kind of a, it's a natural phenomena uh, when we get some nice warm temperatures. The aquatic plants start to grow pretty fast in the near shoreline, and a lot of those sticks kind of fish, sticklebacks and perch that come to the near shoreline to do their thing to spawn, they get kind of stressed out because as those aquatic plants grow there's less oxygen for the fish and they get kind of stressed and some of them succumb to their lack of oxygen and, uh, and they wash up. And, and unfortunately or fortunately, we're on the windward side of the lake, right? So as the normal winds blow, they just end up, and we get them, we pick them up every day, sometimes two or three times a day, but it might be a comment that you hear just from the community because not everyone would be like, oh, that's a perch. It was there last year, the year, five years. It's, so it's a thing. There is a thing once every seven years where there's actually an actual die-off that actually a significant amount of perch because they'll just kind of get overpopulated. And then, and then we'll have not just hundreds, we'll have thousands. And in that case, then it's it's a it's a real thing. But right now it's just a normal thing. So, so like thousands of fish wash up on oh Texas, sometimes we've Texas yeah, beaches are going yeah, are having that, that issue yeah. right now. Like hundreds of thousands of fish, yeah. Yeah, it's the water's not poisoned. Actually, the water quality really is really good right now. We haven't had any high counts, at normal counts, knock on wood. Yeah, um, but uh, it's still early, still really early. But um, yeah, so anyways, uh, maybe a couple other things might be of interest that probably won't make the update. Uh, getting ready for some pretty big tournaments. The Everest hosts 
the city championships this year. They host the District Nine tournament, and they'll kind of move right into the Little League World Series um, in a couple months. So, yeah, the city championships uh, are um, this next week, and then and then right after that, in a couple of weeks, is District Nine, which is the whole basically greater Eastside King County, which is a pretty big deal. So, and then after that, it's the Little League World Series. So. For the for uh, um, girls under 13, 13, 13 and under for yeah we've hosted it for almost as many years as the parade for over twenty years yeah it's been around for a while so pretty cool event so but other than that just a couple of small things but neither neither surpassed the number of years that Jason has worked I'm not gonna wait. <laughs> I don't think so that um, we're just getting ready for summer camps to start. Um, they're starting the June 26th. The pool is open, which is exciting. Swim lessons are underway. Um, so yeah, we're just kind of getting final things ready for camps. Um, we hired our last position, which was a day camp director today. Um, so yeah, which is great. Jay, how are you guys doing, Jason? Yeah, we're fully staffed. We have one full-time position that we'll recruit for and hire in the fall. But other than that, we have uh, all the harbor masters are hired, all the seasons are hired. Uh, we have a couple open positions uh, that were just um, recently hired at the grounds level. Uh, so yeah, it's all, all full. Well, now we're just waiting for to, to get out of school and come, right? So not all schools. Some are some are out, but uh, quarter system schools they don't get out for another couple of weeks. So yeah. Okay, well, thank you, John. That was uh, some good, some interesting information, especially the the dead fish. <laughs> so that was that was I like that a lot. But uh, yeah, it's it's all over the news. Yeah, Texas, all over. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, so we had no whales. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so uh, next on the communications agenda is comments from the chair. Um, I've been going to the PFAC meetings, so it's been keeping me busy. And you know all about PFAC already, so I have nothing else to report then. Um, so um, we've kind of reached the end of our agenda. Does anybody else have anything else they'd like to discuss or, or any other questions, topics? So hearing none, uh, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Thanks, Mike.